0: Silent. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You have a right to an attorney prior to or during any question. You can't afford one in a court a point one for you. You understand your rights? Your crime spree was over, son. Yeah, you thought you had it licked, but it man overtone made you sugar turn to shit. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Get ready, you're gonna do time. Oh, 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 oh. Real life, real crime. Warning. were presented to me by the victims of the crime or the perpetrators who committed the crimes. My descriptions of the crime scenes are what I saw with my own two eyes. If you are going to get offended, turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And as always, I'm your host, Woody Overton, and the, with my co-host, Jim, the hitman, Raffman. What's up, Jim? How much? How you doing today, Woody? I'm doing well, brother. I'm doing well. So let's just jump straight into it, brother. The uh, Y'all, we're going to talk about the Crew Bash, the real-life, real-crime, first annual or inaugural Crew Bash, which is February the 15th. At the Basin on 3rd Street in downtown Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And y'all, the Basin basically is a concert hall. It's a really cool venue. um, Right in the heart of all the action on 3rd Street. So, you know, it's just a great place. Jim and I are going to take the stage. The doors open at 8. Jim and I will probably take the stage around 9. We're going to do a new Never before heard episode of real life, real crime, Jim.
1: Yeah, it's. We've gotten the question a lot. It will not be the same case as what's going on in the lives in January. Um, it's going to be completely different, and it's going to be
0: good. Yes, and and y'all, that the night before is Valentine's, and this case is going to have something to kind of tie into that. I'm warning you now it's for adults only it's got sex it's got murder and uh it's not one that you've heard of it, it you know happened many 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 years ago but it's going to be graphic um and there's some light parts in it but it's just going to be a great show jim and i are going to rock the stage for a couple hours and then we're going to get down um uh, we're going to have a the photo boost type things what do you call those jim uh um, just
1: a backdrop photos I like got a little photo section um, so we'll be able to do like meet and greets take pictures with everybody hang out yeah, we'll, have drinks and cut it up
0: yeah we'll have a couple of those set up in the back uh, because after Jim and I get off the stage and we go to start doing the meet and greets um, Tom Play will be taken in their band that's y'all that's the the musicians that do our opening music And he and his wife, Shelly, Toby Tom play and Shelly and their full band will be taking the stage and playing till we close. And it'll close around 2 a.m. It'll be the the Basin is a great concert venue. They'll have wait staff and they'll be selling alcohol at the different bars, et cetera. And and we're going to have a lot of drinks and a lot of fun. We're celebrating our one-year anniversary of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast, one million downloads, our 2019 Podcast of the Year award, or awards, I should say, and uh, Mardi Gras and my 50th birthday. So it's going to be a great time. $35. Get your t- tickets at eventbrite.com or go on any our website or any of our uh, Facebook pages, there's links to it. Get your tickets while they last. People, they are selling. Now, the 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 basin is a big venue, um, but the tickets are going to sell out, so you need to get them while you can. We, we will not have any extras or leeway to give away, so get them while you can. Jim?
1: Yeah, I agree. We can't create another day of this like we were able, as fortunate to do with the uh, Livingston Parish literacy and technology center so definitely get your tickets and come meet us out there we're gonna have a hell of a time we won't disappoint
0: yeah it's gonna it's gonna be a great show y'all And we've been working on it um in the you know tom plays music's got awesome they're a south louisiana staple the basin is a great venue i don't know if you've ever been there but it has the big concert area floor uh, downstairs and it has a, a, a wraparound balcony, um, upstairs if you want to watch from that venue for, or from that standpoint, or whatever. It's just a really great, great place, great vibe. Um, it's going to be a hell of a party. Get your tickets before they sell out. They can they can only let so many people in because of the fire marshal. So don't miss out on it. All right. So without further ado, Let's kick off this week's episode, and it's titled "I Murdered Us Both." Okay, so on December the eighth, two thousand. What year was it, Jim? Two thousand six. December eighth, yes, two thousand six. December the eighth, two thousand six. It was a Friday. I was working as a detective in. Uh, or for the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office. And, Jim, I think we, we you and I were partners at this time. Uh, yep, in, sure. And it was around 10 o'clock in the morning. I was at the courthouse, um, and my pager went off, and it said there's been a shooting on Perkins Road, possible hostage – or not hostage, um, possible standoff situation. Now, I had – been on the special response team uh, for the years before that. But when I really got deep into detectives, I I gave it up because, you know, getting called out at all times of the night and stuff like that and still having to go in and cover your regular detective load, um, I had given it up. But, Jim, you were still on the special response team, right?
1: Yep, I still was. And, actually, I had came off of working nights because we had that. I think we were on nights that week because I had – that's right. Or maybe we were on days. Whatever it was you were on. Um, I just remember going home and uh I had just gotten to sleep right. and I got paged I got paged out.
0: Right. So the the page was page goes off. Uh you know, everybody respond to this address on Perkins Road. Now, Perkins Road, let's talk about that. The if you it's kinda in between, it's north of Denham and Walker, but almost dead set in between the two. Uh, um, it's a it's a really rural road. It's off of Cane Market Road, um, and when you turn on, Perkins Road runs north off of Cane Market Road. Um, anyway, let, let me digress. The nine one one call came in, and it was a lady screaming, frantic screaming. She she had taken her daughter to her boyfriend's house. The, uh, they had just split up, and she the mom had taken her daughter. The daughter's name was Crystal Gale Leota, L-I-O-T-T-A, who at the time was 23 years old. Uh, um, she was just three weeks shy of her 24th birthday, and the mom took her over there to pick her personal items up from uh, Morris Wayne Mathurne's house. Now, Morris Wayne Mathurne was 48 years old and he had been dating Crystal, uh, who was 23. And Crystal broke it off with him, yeah, but she needed to go over to his residence to pick up her stuff. In his residence, when you turn on Perkins Road, you go down not even, not even a quarter of a mile and there's a big turn. It turns to, the road turns to the left, and the turn comes back out to the right. As soon as you come back, I mean, it's a sharp turn. Like, what do you say, like a 90, Jim? I mean, not a 90. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a really, really bad turn. But this is a little bitty blacktop road. There's no dividing line. I mean, it's country. But when you come out of that turn, uh Mathern's trailer was right up against the road. It ran horribly horizontal with the road it ran anyway it was on the left-hand side of the road it was a small old 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 trailer uh I think maybe one I know it had one bedroom maybe two but I mean it was small and the when you pull in up to the trailer there's only enough room in the front yard between the road and and the trailer for one vehicle there's no really no front yard Pretty much just the ditch and a parking area. Old trailer had some uh, wooden steps that went up to it with a little platform and where the front door. Now, on the back side of the trailer, the woods came all the way up to the trailer. Not, not just woods, but like brush. I mean, he hadn't cut it in forever. Uh, when you look at it, if you're standing at the end of the trailer looking down the side, you couldn't even get out the back door. Uh, there were no back st- steps or anything like that. and It was all overgrown. So back to it, the mom takes Crystal to go get her stuff, and she pulls up, and Crystal gets out and goes inside, and uh, the mom could hear Morris Wayne and Crystal begin to argue. And Crystal comes out of the trailer, and she's carrying stuff. Well, Morris Wayne comes out behind her, and he's carrying something, too. And he's carrying a twenty-two rifle. So the mom immediately calls 911 uh, and and tells him what's going on. And, y'all, we don't have access to any 911 calls from the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office for some reason uh, before 2014. All their 911 calls have been erased some kind of a uh, uh, computer or error system or whatever so we don't have access to those but she calls in and she's screaming Crystal's running from him she, she needs she had uh he had the gun he was chasing her out the door she calls in and she's screaming I'm a guy uh, uh, he's got a gun and he you know, he's gonna kill her and it wasn't that long but she was actually on the phone with 911 and they heard the first shot bam. And then the mom is screaming, he shot her, he shot her, bam, second shot, bam, third shot. So the mom is screaming. Uh, Crystal never had time to get into the passenger seat of the car. The mom is screaming frantically, and uh, Mathern turns around and goes back inside the trailer. Mom gets out to... Still on the phone with nine one one, screaming. They're trying to calm her down, and uh, the crystal's been shot three times in the head with a twenty two caliber rifle. Jim, you want to tell them about a twenty two versus a higher caliber? Or
1: yeah, real real quick though. um, When Crystal came running out, the mom—they were trying to get into the car so they can get away. The mom was talking on nine one one like what he said. Crystal was trying to get in the car, but the door was locked. They couldn't get the door unlocked quick enough. Right. When he fired, started firing the shots at Crystal. Um, he then, if I remember correctly, would he actually pointed the rifle at the mom
0: and it wouldn't fire,
1: but it was jammed or lack of rounds, whatever it was, but he couldn't fire off a shot and then went back into the trailer.
0: Right. And the mom doesn't know if he's going back in to get to reload or whatever, but you're right. He fired, um, like you said, I, no, I don't think it was lack of rounds. I think it must've been jammed. Um, but he, I mean, he definitely would have killed the mom. Uh, so she's on the phone. She runs over to her daughter. There was a deputy. It, it gets dispatched out as as a 103 G in progress, the uh, disturbance with a gun shots fired, one body on the ground and the mom, we have the mom on, uh, on the line and she, you know, they're talking it through the situation. So it's real time. Now there was a deputy that was close by in the area who, uh, was the first one on the scene. And as he pulls up, the mom was actually dragging Crystal, uh, towards the back end of the car, like towards cover out of the way. Cause she, she fully believed that Mathurin was going to come back outside and keep shooting. Um, Jimmy will tell him what happened.
1: Yeah. So the deputy came flying down the road was really close when the initial call came out. Um, when he got to where the trailer is, the mother was dragging Courtney, I'm me, dragging Crystal, um, back and ended up the deputy ended up using the, the sheriff's vehicle, the sheriff's department vehicle to actually provide that as cover between the residents and the, basically the, the mother and Crystal being dragged. So he actually used that as like a shield and was able to, you know, back them out of there to a safer area and get her loaded up into the back of the car to drive it in reverse, um, where he backed up uh, some distance and was able to start trying to get uh, ambulance personnel out there to get her immediate medical
0: help. Right. And so what happened, y'all, tactically this trailer was in like the worst position because you're coming out of that turn and there's literally no cover in, unless you go back around the turn. He could come out, especially with a rifle. You can shoot long distances. The, he could come out at any time and start shooting them. Um, the, the deputy, you know, of course he's a hero. Uh, I mean, but the, they're just doing what they do, but he was able to get her back. And then other units start responding on the scene. So the page goes out for uh, me as the detective to go and then to all, all the SRT members. And, um, Jim, I'll let you talk about that.
1: Yeah, so the when the page went out, it, I remember it just saying that shots fired, uh, subject barricaded in residence. And, you know, it just had the location of where to go. And the way that it works on SRT, you have two different teams. You have an A team and a B team, and they work it in two week rotations. So usually if there's any type of like narcotic search warrant or anything like that, whichever team is on call during that two week period will respond to that. But in a case such as this, you need everybody and anybody that can make it that's on the, on the SRT team. And I was—I happened to be on my two-week rotation regardless, but it was all hands on deck, everybody come. So we always carry our SWAT gear. And, and, And for me, when I was on my two weeks, I was always prepared. I had all my stuff right where I needed it in the trunk of my vehicle. I knew it was already placed, inventoried. I knew exactly the procedure I needed to get everything on in a moment's notice. And that particular day, Um, that's exactly what I had to do. I got the page. Boom. I I was, I was gone. I was out of the house. Um, I was actually putting on some gear as I'm driving. Um, and so when I showed up, I can get right on the scene and it wasn't too far away, but definitely had to haul ass to get there.
0: Yeah. And I remember I used to carry, have all my stuff organized in the trunk where I could put it on in the pitch Mm -hmm. black, just like when I was in the army and, and you're in the field, um, you know, I had my stuff set to where I could, could do it, you know, without anything. Of course, if you're in a, in a hostage situation or a standoff situation like that, if it was nighttime, you don't want to be out there with the flashlight on making a target of yourself. But yeah, and it's a lot of gear, y'all. I mean, you know, you're talking about uh tactical vests with the uh the shield plates in, in the front and back, and then your weapons and your helmet and your goggles and your knee pads and elbow pads. It's, it's, I mean, it's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of gear. Uh, it's a lot of training and preparation that goes into these situations. And, you know, so this is not like a narcotics search warrant call out where you would go to, uh, the range or wherever they meet at and get briefed ahead of time, and get whatever intelligence they have on the residents and, No, you know, how many people are there? How many doors and uh, have a picture of the place and all that? No, this is a shit hot call. The, the, everybody's responding and you'll get there. And once you arrive on the scene, you'll get placed or you'll meet with the team leaders and, and they work out a plan from there. Um, so Perkins road, the, the, that, when you turn on off a of mark, that's one way, but it, it runs all the way up to uh, Springfield, what they call Springfield Road or Highway sixty three or We some of them called Weiss Road, W E I S S Road. In um, but it's a little curvy road. It runs up to that highway, which is way way in the sticks. But it had to be blocked off from both sides. So some units were responding from the other side, from the north side. Some responding from the south. But you can't that pull up from when you're coming from the north side, he had a, Mathurin would have had a good long shot. It was, it was several hundred yards, maybe a quarter mile open straight away on that side. But from the south side out of that 90 degree turn, you know, it had to be blocked off from there. All right. So everybody's responding. The, uh, crystal was bleeding severely from her head. Acadian, uh, once, he had her safe out of that distance and uh, other units are arriving, setting up the perimeter, et cetera. Acadian actually took her. Uh, they had to call air med and Acadian took her and she was airlifted out by helicopter. She was in bad shape. Y'all, uh, um, you know, I don't care what kind of caliber rifle it is. If you are shot three times in the head at pretty close range, it's not going to be good. So, I remember arriving and I, w- I came in on the South side and was stopped naturally around the turn. Uh, everybody was there, you know, tons of units, et cetera, but not being on the SRT team anymore, I was responding to work it as the shooting, uh, uh possible homicide. However, it turned out and when I got there, I was met and briefed on the situation exactly as we told y'all that he came out, shot her three times, tried to shoot the mom, um, rifle didn't fire, went back inside. But since he had gone back inside and since that first responding deputy had been on the scene, there had been no, no one had heard any more gunshots. So we know that he's inside. Uh, the, they were able to keep eyes on the, the, the trailer and he had not come back outside. Now tell you about Mathern is a big deal, Okay. Uh, I'm not making fun or anything like that. But I mean, this dude was like well in excess of 300 plus pounds uh, uh, and not with muscle. Uh, You know, he was just a big, large man. And so it's not like he's going to run out the door, uh, um, you know, and go run three miles to safety or something. And he probably couldn't walk the three miles to safety. But so what, They knew with certainty that he was still inside the residence, all right? So when when they arrive and start to set up the perimeter, uh, you know, of course someone's going to have eyes on the back of the the first responding deputies. And someone's going to have eyes on the back of the residence. Someone's going to have eyes on the front door. And as SRT gets there, uh, and and starts to set up, and I'll let you talk about it, Jim. And that they'll take over control of the scene while it's worked. But we knew Mathern was inside the residence; he was armed, and he was willing to use it. So, the one of the good things about when the SRT team, when I was on it, there were no rotations; it was strictly volunteer, and you got called out, you got called out. Period. But as the team grew and, and the department grew, like Jim said, they broke it down into teams. Um, but a lot of, almost all the time, there was somebody that was ten eight in uniform patrol on duty that was an SRT member. Right, Jim?
1: Yes. And usually when we were on SRT during that two-week time frame, I would actually sometimes patrol at night in the BDUs that we would wear just because I'm already in uniform. Um, it's something where to get called out. Now, when I was a detective, it was different because we were basically wore suits every day. Right. Um, but as I stated, I was actually coming from home. So my, right. I already yeah.
0: had my, my BDU stage yeah. to, to just throw yeah. on and go. And y'all BDU's are battle dress uniform. That's, uh, when, you know, like you see the tactical uniforms. Yeah. Black or dark Navy blue. Yeah. Uh,
1: um, you know, with all the cargo pockets and the little
0: little and, pockets on the top and, and on the sleeves, right? And the badge sewn on, so it doesn't hang up. And if you're fighting or running or whatever, uh, it's a it's actually a, a patch. It's sewn on there, and the, and the patches are sewn on your sleeves, etc. Um. Okay, so we're on scene. SRT showing up. More SRT showing up. Jim, I'll let you talk about. Um, what happens tactically, and tell us about that, and then we're going to we're going to take a break after that and talk about something else real quick.
1: Yeah. So when we when on my way to the call, uh, we have a tactical channel that we're able to communicate on. So usually the first uh, SWAT officer or SRT officer that shows up, will start kind of coordinating where people are going to go because they have eyes on, they can see the situation. So um, you know they'll cover the. As I'm coming up, they were getting instructions. So when I pulled up, I already knew where I was being told to go, which is on the south, kind of like that southeast corner. When you come around that 90 degree turn, on that southeast corner, there was a, there was already one of our, uh, SRT vehicles there. And so I was able to take position, um, on that where, you know, I have the, the AR-15, um, you know, fully loaded up. Um, we had people basically you want to be able to cover the entire area. So, um, you know, we have people in the back. On the sides, we actually had a sniper team that showed up, um, and they took position that was hidden. They were a little bit further back, but they were completely concealed, um, and that way they could cover basically that whole front of the house. And I believe we ended up getting another sniper team that showed up. They ended up covering the back part of the residence. Um, it was a little bit harder for them. Um, they were a little further distance, but uh, they had it. So the whole entire trailer was completely covered. Um, and that's when the tactical operation really began do you want me to touch on that
0: yeah, yeah let's hold up on that for one second The now when he was saying they had their own TAC y'all that's their own uh, SRT had their own scramble channel where all the citizens loved to listen to police band radios they couldn't get this one because it's, it had a special scramble code on it um, the main net tac one that covered the west side of the parish was 10:33, which means it was for emergency traffic only. Everybody else was off. So the the regular uniform guys that were there, as SRT pulls up and they take uh, control of the scene, they will relieve them from the, their positions where they're they're watching the trailer, and they they do what they're trained to do. They take up their positions. They find good cover. You know, they surround it. First thing, you don't want this guy getting out. Uh, um, secondly, if he comes out and he starts shooting, you have to be prepared to do the response. And so, but like Jim said, I mean, the, I mean, they train on it all the time, nonstop. Uh, um, so tactically, you have the upper hand as far as not letting this guy hurt anybody else, right? And that includes, exactly right. it includes equipment, y'all. It's a lot of specialized equipment. The You know, the SWAT vehicle, which is armored. Uh, uh, the, you know, uh, bulletproof ballistic shields. Jim, let's talk about those real quick. Uh, the shields.
1: Yeah, the shields are pretty heavy. They're really large. So if you're holding it out, the shield out in front of you um, typically goes a little bit higher than your head. and goes all the way down to your feet. So the real, real long, real heavy. Um, they're made of that, that bulletproof, um, puxy glass, I believe is what it is. Um, and it has lights on there. So if you needed to shine it and you could press a button, they literally would get just, the lights are so bright. It could just open up and light up in an entire hallway all the way down. It'd look like it's daytime. Right. Um, but they're, they're, they're heavy, but gosh, those things are great.
0: Yeah. And the thing about it is the, and what I distinctly remember, um, the first guy holding the shield the this is how much training and trust you have to have in your brothers and and, and uh, you go through it over and over again first guy's holding the shield uh, um, the, and then the, you stack up the second guy's over his shoulder with his weapon so he's he's covered behind the shield and he's covering if the gunplay starts you have it like that if you if the stack is deeper you know it just falls down the line like that but i remember training with that heavy son of a bitch and holding it and holding it and, and and being glad when it wasn't my, my turn to be the one holding it but what you didn't want to have <laughs> happen was have somebody like uh, our buddy Billy Amy and I'm pretty tall I'm 6'2 I'm but, but you didn't want to have um, a tall guy in front of you in the stack and I just remember training and Billy Amy being in front of me and he's like 6'5 six, 6'6 six, six, and Uh, having to squat down and, 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 you know, get in the crouch position for a long time and training in the heat, et cetera. And, and, you know, no matter how good a shape you are, it's like a super duper workout when you get done, you know, you're sore and and you're hurting. So, but hey, Jim, let's talk about something real quick. And then we'll get right back to the story. The talking about the training reminds me. Of uh, uh, being sore and, and, uh, pain. Uh, um, and I still have an elbow injury to this day that, that bothers me a lot. And, uh, but you know, the stress and the anxiety and, and stuff like that, even though you train for it through SRT, et cetera, it's all very real. Um, but anyway, it, do you experience stress? or have anxiety, or chronic pain, or have trouble sleeping at least once a week, if you do, you're not alone. Many of us do. Personally, I've been on, I take medicine since 2004 to sleep every night, okay? And the I don't like uh, to have to take medicine, and I've always been trying to, to find an alternative gym like the uh my wife is big into the essential oils and the, you know these different things we tried over the years etc but uh, I want to tell you about a product that I, I've got to using, got the samples of and using, and it's really pretty amazing. Okay. It's Feels F-E-A-L-S. Now what is Feels? Feels is a premium CBD that's delivered directly to your doorstep Uh, feels naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. The, uh, it helps me, Jim, I I take the, the dose, uh, at bedtime. I'm conked out. Okay. Not, it doesn't get you high and there's no, when I wake up in the morning, I I actually slept and then, and, uh, uh, good peaceful sleep so i wake up I feel fresh right which is even the, the medicine that I took for the 14 years every morning I wake up on a little bit groggy it's just totally different when I take the CBD oil um, the, it's easy to take you just put a few drops under your tongue and you feel the difference within minutes and that's the other thing that medicine I took all those years uh, to, to sleep it takes like an hour and a half to two hours for it to kick in so Anyway, the uh, if you're new to CBD or C- CBD oils, Fields offers a free CBD hotline and text message support to help guide you th- your personal experience. Feels works naturally to help you feel better. There's no high, hangover, or addiction. Join the Fields community to get Fields delivered to your door every month. You'll save money on every order, and you can pause or cancel at any time. Fields has me feeling my best every day, and it can help you too. Become a member today by going to Fields.com slash R-L-R-C, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash R-L-R-C. So become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping fields.com slash R L R C. So the, it really does work out that I'm, I'm the biggest skeptic of of stuff like that, but you know, I got to try this and and I mean the sleep to me is the big thing, Jim. Uh, uh, But I also, I take a couple drops in the morning That it's different doses for the, like for sleep than, than they teach you how to use it in the morning. You take it, take, take it in the morning, right? With my coffee. It's like, it clears my head just a little bit. So, but that's it. Y'all feels, uh, I just wanted to talk about it for a second, Jim. All right. Let's do it. Okay. All right. So back to the scene, y'all. The we're set up, um, the guy's barricaded. Mathern's barricaded inside, and there's been no gunshots, et cetera. All right, so, Jim, SRT's there. Perimeter is set. Sniper teams are in place. What happens next?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're all out there, really. it's Obviously, it's become a public safety risk, and so we have to protect the public as well as the officers on scene, and that's why we train for this all the time and finally you know we're putting it into action so you know everybody has their tactical positions communicating on if they see any type of movement inside windows doors and then um, and then you end up trying to establish communication with uh, with them from inside so what we'll do is usually on a loudspeaker is we'll try to call for them to come out right um, and we'll, we'll provide numerous attempts to get that to happen we'll uh we ended up getting a hostage uh or not it, we'll, just a negotiator even though he was in there by himself to try to try to course him to come out on his own um right. we don't we don't want to have to have any shots fired so we're sitting on a loudspeaker announcing his name asking him to come out and silence It just wasn't Anything at all. Right,
0: right. Um, Real quick on the hostage negotiator. Y'all, that's separate from the SRT team. Like one of them was Chuck Watts and one of them was Robert Ardon. And they've been to a uh, school uh, where they, you know, teach them tactics, try to establish communication and and end it peacefully. Now, SRT's job is not to kill anybody. It's just to try to uh, end it peacefully if they can. So, uh, they start with you know, uh, Mathern. You know, we're here. You're surrounded. Uh, you know, nobody wants to hurt you. We want to end this peacefully. You know, uh, you need to come to your door with your hands up. The the one thing that that the SRT and the negotiators and us as detectives had on our side was time okay we know this guy's is he's holed up we have enough of a perimeter where he can't shoot anybody the traffic's shut down nobody can get through from uh on the north side from way past where his trailer was and and then the of course on the south side from the um it just couldn't he couldn't shoot anybody he couldn't hurt anybody and now if he starts shooting out the windows they're gonna smoke them like a pack of cool, right? Mm-hmm. They're gonna do what they got to do. But the the he he wasn't responding. They're calling for him. You know, uh, you know. And Morris and, Morris Mathurne is the sheriff's office. We're here. Uh, you need to come come out with your hands up and no weapons, etc., etc., et cetera. And you repeat it over and over again. Go ahead, Jim.
1: And, and there's a few
0: other tactics
1: we'll try to use as well, like um, using go look. At the history, if there's ever been any call outs out there before, um, can we locate a next of kin? Does he oh, have yeah. a phone number? Yeah. Try to establish communication with him by calling him. Um, you know, did he, we don't know. Did he, did he cut the phone lines? Did he pull the phone lines out of the wall? Uh, we don't really know. Um, but we try every means possible to establish communication or find somebody that he knows that he trusts that we can bring there to help try to hey, you know, this is mom, come out here, whatever we could try to do. But we weren't having any luck, and it was still silent. There was no response still coming from inside. Dead so we silent. don't know if he's, if he's loaded up all kinds of rifles and shotguns and he's just ready for, for war right there in the street. We don't know. Um, but there was no response still right. coming from inside.
0: Right. and But you don't let off. they, they they're constantly trying to make commun- establish communications with him in some way. Now, uh, again, if, if they had heard a gunshot go off inside, that would have been different. It would have been a different response. If he had to start shooting it out the windows or something, it would have been a different response. If he had to start talking, it would have been a different response. But, the, again, the one thing you have on your side is time. But after, you know, Couple of hours go by and, 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 and you know, there, there's no response and, and we didn't have family members or didn't, he, um, he didn't have a cell phone that was answering or anything like that. At some point, you got him take the next step, Jim? Right.
1: And then, so the next step was to actually tactically approach the front, um, with using a shield. You had, you had, we had the shield guys there in the front and it was actually me. That was carrying the phone, and we had a phone that we could throw inside um, and establish communication that way. Well, um, tell them. and which is exactly what what we did was to take that tactical approach.
0: So it, it, the phone um, had, when the
1: order was given,
0: go ahead, wait, what's wait, that? Tell them about the phone, Jim. Uh, the uh, The phone has a camera on it also uh right and it's not just a phone so the you know if you can get that inside of the residence that's a huge advantage because then you can see what you're dealing with if he's sitting there loading up uh weapons or what's going on um so at some point they decide to tactically approach like Jim's saying behind the shields Jim's see that he's being covered by the shield Jim's carrying the phone go ahead buddy
1: so the the front door wasn't closed all the way Um, it was it was closed but it had that um you know if you don't actually twist the handle and push it closed it just kind of leaves that just a little bit open Um, we did notice that um and so as we tactically approach behind the shield you know you take your time you're looking and that's when you really have to trust those you got to trust that the person the shield's going to keep it right where it needs to be because i'm walking and i'm holding on to a phone um, and so, you know, we get up to the front door, and that's kind of when you approach around to the side, and we're able to to push the door open just enough so I can throw the phone in there. And that's exactly what I did. Pushed the door, threw the phone in, um, almost like you're throwing a flashbang. You throw that phone in, um, and I could see someone sitting on a chair. Um, it was like a Lazy Boy type of a chair. Uh, and I saw that. And then we we backed our way out. Right. And so I went ahead, and we had to back all the way out tactically, all the way back. And then, it's there, I'm able to report what it is that I saw when I threw the phone inside.
0: Right. Do you want to pick up? What do you want me to? Yeah. Get? Yeah. And and I was there when when I mean uh, when you came back and you, you you reported seeing him. And when they turned the, the the camera on the phone on the we could actually see Mathern in the, on the seat and, uh, he was, there was, there was a rifle, there, were, there was a rifle beside him and, and he was bleeding from the head. Uh, um, so the decision had to, be, and they, I mean, he wasn't moving. I mean, it, it looked like he was ten seven. seven, to be honest with you. It looked like he, right. he was dead. So we made it, which is what I, which is what I observed when I, when I threw the phone in. Right.
1: Um, but you never know if that's you know, is he really ten seven or not to right, you know, right. be playing possum. Exactly so right. you still treat it as if he's still alive and active and ready and, and ready for anything.
0: Right. And so what happens now is we keep eyeballs on the camera. SRT devises their next plan, Jim.
1: Yep. The next plan was to go ahead and make entry. Um, so again, now we tactically approach. Uh, we have, you know, the sniper teams covering our movement, like we did when we tactically went up to the door. Um, you know, we had we had the entry team, and then you know your secondary search team. So once they went ahead and tactically made the entrance, you know, the first people in are going to go right to that immediate threat and and hold that threat down um, while everybody keeps filling the house, checking each room, each corner. Once you finish doing the initial clearance of the rooms and closets, you do what's called the secondary sweep, which is where you're opening up cabinets, looking underneath the beds, um, flipping over bed mattresses. If you think somebody could hide somewhere, you want to look. Because the last thing you want, one, could there be another victim inside? We don't know. Um, Is there somebody hiding in there? Is there another suspect in there that we didn't know about? So you look, you look high, you look low, you look everywhere, and so we finished the secondary sweep, um, and it was at that time um, when everything was there. You know, he, he was—you could tell he was. was referred to as ten-seven, which is deceased.
0: Well, it, um, they that, all chair. He was, but when y'all made the entry and you cleared clear the trailer we're still watching on the phone and then uh, as soon as they secured the weapon and they did the initial sweep and they said come on in um, and I went in and he was actually still breathing Jim The, uh, the, the, the he was still breathing uh, and so what we did then was call in the Katie and ambulance uh, which was staged anytime there's a SWAT call out and a standoff like that the Acadian ambulance will keep a unit or units staged until the the situation is resolved whether it's you know in case an officer gets hurt or whatever this in this case Matherne I got there I'm looking at him uh he shot himself once in the head with the 22 rifle and um he was breathing but it was he was barely breathing and barely breathing the, he um,
1: slouched, slouched, probably brain dead.
0: Yeah, slouched back in his chair and his wife beater uh, T-shirt and, and boxer shorts. And he, he was a big dude. Uh, and it was a small trailer. Now the Acadian comes in with their, uh, their, what do you call them? Carts, body cart, whatever you call it. The, the um, gurney, they come in with the gurney, gurney. and it, it was a chore to get the gurney through the door. And, but when they get the gurney through the door, this dude was big. And and we had to pick him up. And there's no way two Acadian personnel could pick him up by themselves. And I had to actually assist him. And, Jim, you assisted also. And we picked him up. Mm-hmm. I, I think we had like six or seven of us uh, had to pick him up. And it was still a chore to get him on the thing. And then we had to get him back out and, and, and back off that uh, raised platform and, uh, et cetera. So that's what we did. We got him up uh, the, um, on the thing and got him out. They got him secured in the ambulance and they took him to the hospital, but they didn't air med him. I don't know if that's because, uh, they didn't think he was going to make it. I mean, he was too far gone or whatever. I don't know of a reason why. Or maybe the he- because the helicopter, the only helicopter they had, well, you know, was busy taking Crystal or something. I don't know why. Uh, but they took him to the hospital and, at that time, I began to process the scene as a detective, and and Jim went back to his unit, uh, uh, you know, and took off all the heavy nasty stuff, and no, nobody else. Okay, so as soon as we got Mathurin out, I had it taped off, the, everything, and then, and then there's nobody else to come in. No more SRT members and nothing. We knew the residence was secure. Then we start to process it as. Probable homicide scene. Okay. And so, uh, Jim would have gone back to his unit and got just stripped down. I had to go, you know, get my stuff and in, uh, camera and stuff like that. The, the, the mom's car was still parked there. The, we recovered mm-hmm. the, um, uh, the three. That's what, you know what? It was a jam, Jim. We, we recovered the three spent casings and then there was one that was dented. A, a, a live round that was dented that didn't go off, and evidently he cleared right. when he was going back inside. Um, probably y'all, I think he shot himself right away, and maybe during the commotion of the first unit responding with sirens and, you know, them dragging, uh, Miss Leota away and all that. And it, I think he shot himself probably in that time frame because he had, he had been down for a while. Um, and, and a 22's is not that loud. And so it's uh, during the excitement of all that. And, and, you know, I could see where they could miss the sound. Right, Jim? Yep, you're right. And, and and so I think he walked right in. I He would have killed the mom, no doubt about it. I think he walked right in. Without a doubt. He walked right in. He cleared the jam on his rifle. And he sat in the chair, leaned forward, and... Put the barrel to his head and pulled the trigger uh, uh, and shot himself. So, anyway, so we we'll start the process as a homicide. We collect the evidence, do all the photographs, do the photographs, uh, find the, the the spent casing. It was it was a semi-automatic twenty-two rifle, so it ejects the shells. And the uh, we found the casing inside. Uh, the bullet was still in his head, evidently, because we couldn't find that. And then Jim and I start to look through the residence. It had a strong odor of marijuana in the residence. And I told you it was real small. And I remember going to that, uh, what evidently was his bedroom, uh, which would have been on the south end of the trailer, and finding, like, jackpot of weed. Uh, it was at least three pounds of weed bagged up in big Ziploc baggies and like, uh, gallon sized bags, like gallon size like bags, three of those full. And then he had scales and, uh, a bunch of small individual baggies. So evidently it could be inferred that he was, he was selling marijuana. Um, uh, you know, is what it is. So, but the, uh, we processed the scene. We worked it. We, we, of course, you know, took the rifle and, and the shell casings and the marijuana and whatever else and entered it all in evidence. Then Jim and I went to the hospital and they, miraculously, they were both still alive, but they were in surgery, et cetera. And, um, unfortunately, Miss Leota died. Uh, early the next morning, Saturday morning, I think around 6 a.m. or something like that. And he, Mathurin died that night, that Friday night. So, uh, he murdered them both. And he he killed her and then he killed himself. Um, So, our our prayers go out to, you know, the, the, the family of the victim not from i don't give a shit about I'm said so, you know he he took her killed her uh, he killed crystal leota the poor mother the, oh my god can you imagine and and i have uh two beautiful uh, um young adult daughters and i could not imagine that uh, she was 23 my oldest one is close to that age. And I could not imagine being on that scene and having that guy coming out and watching him begging and not to him, watching him shoot her not once, twice, three times in the head. I mean, you shoot, shoot shooting. That's right. Fucking animal. You shoot the first time and she, she goes down and you're basically standing over y'all. This yard was not big i mean like 30 feet i don't know how how much room it takes to park a car but there was no more room than that right jim i mean i mean heck the
1: the car where the car is parked and where you got to walk up those those steps to get to that trailer touch i mean you're only you're only talking five yards
0: right right so i mean he shoots her she goes down and, and he literally pretty much is standing over her and and shoots her Second time. Execution shot. A, that's exactly right. He shoots it the third time. And uh, fuck him, murder by you for him. Really, really tragic. And, and like I said, our, our prayers go out, you know, to the Leota family uh, and the loss of Crystal. So, but. That's it. I mean, the the you know, not a lot of joking around about that. Domestic violence is certainly by far the most dangerous call that law enforcement officers respond to. Um More law enforcement officers get killed every year responding to domestic violence calls than all the other calls put together. And that's because people are so jacked up. Their emotions are jacked up. I guess uh, Mathern decided he couldn't live without. Crystal and he wasn't going to let her live without him and he did it. He murdered, them. he, he murdered them both. Uh, I mean, I don't know, Jim.
1: Yeah. You know, actually, since we're talking about domestic violence, I'm gonna give a domestic violence uh, message real quick. Would you be all right with that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, there's a lot of things that go on behind closed doors that people don't get to see or know. And if you are a victim of domestic violence, and you're scared to get out, there are programs that will help you get out that are completely discreet. Contact your local authorities when you are safe to be able to speak to someone. When you get in touch with your local authorities, this is all across the country, y'all. If it doesn't matter your city, your county, your parish, whatever it is, contact your local authorities, meet with them somewhere that you can that's safe they will then contact and assist with these programs that get you out of there. But don't stay in a situation where you can get hurt or get killed or your children. There are ways to get out of that. Nobody needs to live a life in fear and then getting beaten and just going through that emotional and physical hell. Yeah. So if you're scared to get out, there are ways to get out. And to have it done, and and be able to, to get out safely. Listen. Okay, so contact your local authorities. They have those ways to make that happen. I promise you.
0: We've dealt with hundreds and hundreds. I can't even tell you how many cases, and they're so sad. Most of the time, the the and sometimes it's a guy, but most of the time, the female has been okay. mentally beat down to the point where it, the 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 person is like, you, know, you can't. Leave me. Nobody wants you. You're fat or ugly. You're stupid. And you got your kids. Who's going to take care of you? Blah, blah, blah. And I always call it the wheel, the circle of domestic violence, because they'll go and and argue to the point where they, they get their ass beat again. And then what happens right afterwards, especially, we'd arrest the same assholes over and over and over mm-hmm. and, then, and the female would always drop the charges. And you know why? That's part of my circle I'm talking about. They, they reach the climax, if you will, where the abuse uh, happens. And if they have the guts to call 911 or someone else calls 911, they, they come out, they arrest, we arrest the bad guy, then... Then it's all honeymoon time. Oh, I'm honey. I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. I worship the ground you walk on. Stay with me. We got the best life ever. da da, da. And guess what? It's honeymoon pe- period until the, the circle comes off back around again. And then the next thing sets that idiot off and it starts the whole circle again. And, and the, 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 bad part it, is the bad part is, and I'll just talk. The bad part is I told every one of them, I said, one day we're going to come out here and the, you're going to be dead. I'm going to be working your homicide instead of showing up for a domestic violence report. And the state of Louisiana I actually changed the laws when I, uh, when I was a detective where they could start taking the charges uh, on these repeat cases like that. The, the state can, the, could prosecute the offender for domestic violence, even if the uh, victim didn't want to press the charges. Go ahead, Jim. And
1: you're 100% right. It's a vicious circle. You know, the first time it ever happens, and then they're going to apologize and apologize, and you're going to forgive, and then guess what? The next time it happens, it progressively gets worse. Right. Each time the domestic violence happens it gets worse and worse because they keep getting away with it and so they keep doing it more or or you get beat up even more and it's a vicious cycle and unfortunately when we say that when we have I've told these victims the same way Woody has press charges and don't drop them because one day we're going to end up coming back here and it'll be your homicide that we're going to work and guess what that has happened happened. as sad as it is as much as I hate it it it, it happens, just, and that's one of the things we've had to deal with. And now you have someone who lost their life because of some asshole who wants to go out in these rages and beat a woman. I, I just that, I don't stand that, for it. Nobody stands for I don't it. either. I you don't, don't either. stand for it for yourself. Demand more of yourself
0: than that. Yeah, but yeah, you know, and again, but dealing with so many cases, and we'll just get off the topic. But dealing with so many cases, so many people truly feel like they're stuck, you know, and, and mm-hmm. because they've been beat down mentally for so long and then they feel like they don't have anywhere to go and and they don't want to get divorced. And what are they gonna, the kids going to think and all that? Hey, it's a hell of a lot better y'all to get out and, and get help than it is to be dead. Okay. Who's going to raise your kids when you're dead? And guess what? Kids are smart. I mean, and and as studies show, the kids grow up and seek out spouses like their parents. I mean, you want your kid growing up um, and going through domestic violence, also. And look, we, dude, I could go on for this all day long. It makes me sick. I I got I got some really sad stories, victims that I became close to that end up working their murders. And Jim, I know you know some of them I'm talking about. But y'all, if you're if you're a victim of domestic violence get help. Okay. You don't have to live through it. I don't care what they tell you. So Jim.
1: Yeah. Well, um, I think I said it all earlier. You know, there are programs, contact your local authorities, meet with them somewhere when you, when you, when you are safe to be able to do so and they will help safely get you out of that situation. Um,
0: but, but you, I you, hope that you will seek that help. Yeah, you have to make it up. We can't make your mind up for you. And if you're dead, then it's too late. So that's it, y'all. Um, I murdered us both. Uh, I can't really say. I hope you enjoyed it. It's a tragic story. Um, you know, we've been doing a lot of stories lately that has some light light hardness to it and stuff like that. Well, there's nothing funny about this. Uh, um, it was it was a a tragedy that mom will be and family will be forever scarred. Um, but it also is an example of real life and real crime. And it was a good police case and good, uh, good, uh, special response team, keeping the public safe. And, you know, it is what it is. So both of them died, uh, or both of them murdered. Even the suicides is murder of your, of yourself. Um, that's it. And, Jim, let's couple shout outs uh at, since the episode is over now. The y'all we hit twelve thousand members on our real life real crime friends, fans, and crew page last night. That is amazing. That we didn't start that page. That was started by one of the modern dream team moderators, Rachel Franzen, um who's from Alaska. And she started, she asked me, she said, Are you going to, you need, she said, you need to start a private page. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. And she said, I'll make it for you. So she actually created the page like at the end of March, I think, um, last year. So in like 10 months or whatever, we had 12,000 members. Y'all, please keep uh, inviting and everybody that you know to it. I mean, you go look at, some of the big, biggest podcasts in the nation, and they don't have half those amount of numbers in their private group. And the uh, lifers, we love y'all. We appreciate all of you. Thank you so much for liking and listening and sharing. The, y'all are helping us grow. We're right at that 1 million download marks, and and that's just unheard of uh, at, at 11 months and one week to have a 1 million downloads is just crazy. So that's because y'all lifers, you're rocking and you're killing it. You're sharing us. You know, I got a little bit of feedback, buddy, that you liking it. You're sharing us. Uh, we appreciate each and every one of you patron members. Certainly we appreciate your financial support. We hope you're enjoying all your bonus ex. uh, Bonus episodes of Real Life Real Crime, y'all. But patron members have. Jim, I'm getting some feedback. Uh, the patron members, the I think there's six or seven hours worth locked up now. On February 2nd, we will be locking up another full-length bonus patron episode. And, again, uh, a lot of y'all are using it your discounts and the merchandise and and the store and y'all go check out our new website and our totally revamped website, www.realliferealcrime.com by black sheep, creative, um, Clint and Alec. are awesome. They actually are managing our website day to day and have a full store on there. Uh, it's, you know, go get you some good stuff and, and, but we love and appreciate each and every one of y'all. Go ahead, Joe. Yep.
1: Uh, you also want to follow us on Instagram, Real Life, Real Crime, Over10Woody, or Jim underscore craftsman, Come follow us over there. Um, Getting a the YouTube channel, that's next. Stay tuned for that. That's going to be hot. Um, you'll enjoy that one with us too.
0: Yeah. Y'all, we asked for um, subscribers this week to the YouTube channel and y'all, you know, life are stepped up like they always do. And you nailed it. So now that we're past a thousand subscribers for the YouTube channel, we get to go do start doing live videos, uh, on YouTube and we're going to be doing a lot of them. So stay tuned for that. Uh, you know, we just love and appreciate each and every one of y'all. Thank you so much for everything that you do. But you know, uh, we have an at and interview with the morning advocate that's going to be coming out this week uh, and we'll post that to all our social media. Uh, they were nice enough to come out and interview me when I was at the Livingston Parish Literacy and Technology Center uh, talking to the students. And, and then they interviewed Jim by phone because he's in Florida and that's coming out sometime this week before the live shows and Walker. And if y'all are coming to the shows, it's going to be a good one. Um, and that's it we just love y'all and appreciate you uh, I,
1: I got one more thing uh, I know last week we spoke about the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency and the students of the Livingston Parish uh, Literacy and Technology Center they were asking for a thousand people to sign up um, to be an organ donor uh, they had an overwhelming amount of support which we thank you very 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 much for um, they also had a lot of out-of-state, so those outside of Louisiana, um, have gone on as well. So they created a drop-down for out-of-state members. Or there's, excuse me, there's two links. There's a link if you're out of state, and then there's a link if you are in-state. So if you have not done so, please go on to their uh, to their website, and um, it's lopa.org dot org backslash l t c. If you go on there, um, I know under the drop downs you can do the uh uh students for the literacy and uh technology center. Uh yeah. but go on there if you have not done so and, and show support and help these students to reach their one their number of one thousand um, yeah. organ donors. And, and when you, know, you do- one 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 person can save up to eight lives. Right. So it's a way to give back. I mean you're you're gonna be expired anyway, you might as well continue life where you can. Um, and so if you go on there and support them, Kelly Jennings is running that program. She's wonderful, uh, along with all, all their um, staff and faculty that they have. Uh, but go on there and do that.
0: And, when y'all, when you click on it, when you go on and you click on it, it's Livingston Parish Literacy and Technology Center. Then you click on section. It's the criminal justice students. Check that box. And that's for uh, Miss Kelly and they're awesome uh, uh they're they're hosting us, y'all, for these uh, our first three live shows ever, and um, it's just important. You know how I feel about it. I, I told you the story about the, uh, the young lady whose case I worked. They got murdered, and how um, you know how she was able to help so many people through being an organ donor. So, but. Yeah, great people out there. They're doing great things, and um, also the for the li- the live shows. I want to mention this real quick, Jim. The uh, Southeastern Louisiana University. Uh, actually, I'm supposed to do a radio interview with them this week, K- KSLU. And but they're they're sound people. Southeastern University and Crystal uh, Miss. Miss Crystal Hardison is is helping us by getting Southeastern's sound people to come out and they're gonna have Jim and I mic'd up in the room. Uh, you know, all the sound all the stuff that we don't know how to do. Miss Crystal Hardison and Southeastern Louisiana University are gonna be stepping up to the plate and doing that. Awesome people. And uh, the Livingston Parish Literacy and Technology Center, y'all know we got mad love for you, Kelly. Uh, um, So, but we appreciate it. Jim?
1: No, that's it. We'll see. Looking forward to meeting everybody next week. I hope everybody has a wonderful and safe weekend. Be smart. Don't drink and drive. Get an Uber, it's a heck of a lot cheaper.
0: Yes, indeed. Um, Yeah. Hey, I saw that. this weekend, for it just popped in my head, for for the championship parade, I think I, I think Lyft is given free, or no, they're donating. Uh,
1: they're donating a the portion
0: of each each Lyft ride for Carly McCord Scholarship uh, Foundation. Y'all, uh, you heard us talk about Carly. She's a sweetheart. She's a, 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 one of the original lifers, and, um, and she was so huge in helping us grow. And such a friend, Jim and I. So if y'all are out there this weekend, use Lyft and and, in a portion of their rides will be donated to Carly's uh, scholarship foundation. So the, I guess that's just about it, brother. Oh, last thing, don't be. The one that didn't get your ticket for the crew bash because you waited, people are not going to be there. I, I expect by the time we talk to y'all, this this time next week will be sold out. So hurry, 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 get them! It's going to be the party of 2020. Jim,
1: thank you all for listening and support. Appreciate Lots of love.
0: Yep, we appreciate. Stay safe out Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, buddy. I'm good. All right, so we appreciate and love each and every one of y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in to Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. The hitman and I, mad love and respect for you. Appreciate you. Thanks, and until next time or ever, don't let us catch you down on murder. Bye. Peace. Hey guys, this is Dee from Delving Into the Cold, a show about true crime, conspiracies, hauntings, and much more. So if you like mysteries and those things that you can't quite wrap your head around, then this show is for
1: you. You can find me on Podbean, Himalaya, or iTunes.
0: Or you can hit me up on Facebook at Delving Into the Cold Pod. And if you like what you hear, then leave a review. Alright guys, stay safe, stay curious, and I'll see you next time. Oh, oh, oh. Get ready, you're gonna do it